Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an overlap episode where we can finally say La Liga is back and the Premier League are back both in the same weekend. So it's always a good weekend when that happens, like regardless of what happens. Um, it is actually I can't always say that because my club still should show. But, you know, it's a start. So, Rian, how you doing, man? I um, I got to hang out with Rian this weekend. For those that don't know, Rian and I spent a solid amount of time together for the first time Really in a while, actually, like where we got to spend some quality time. Yeah. So basically I'm dating Rian at this point. Um, but yeah, what's good, Rian? <laughs> I, I did spend, I think about like 10, 10 to 12 hours with Elias on Saturday. So, so yeah. great hours. Thank you very great much. Hours. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, Elias, Elias just turned 23. Wow. The, the Big man. years. Big years, yeah. Man, it's uh, it's like one of it's. I was having this conversation with my roommate. Twenty two is kind of like the post college. Like you don't really, you're not really an adult, but like you have some adult responsibilities because you're not in college anymore. But twenty three is like, yeah, you can't even look back at college anymore. Like you're done with that era entirely. Like you have full adult responsibilities now, and it's all on you. So that's definitely how I'm feeling. <laughs> Well, you know, not not full adult responsibilities yet. Is not owning a house? You know, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have a car, a house yet. Yeah, yeah, yet, but. yeah. But 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 I, I see where you're coming from. Um, now it was great. We we uh, celebrated Elias's birthday. We went to Central Park on on Saturday. A nice little picnic. It was good stuff. Man. Very chill vibes. Very chill vibes. Yeah, that was that was the right thing to do on like a very cool Saturday. So I appreciated that. And if you're listening to this, and uh, I know some of you are, shout out to those that were able to celebrate and join me for my birthday in the middle of a pandemic. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. So, But there, I, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do much in terms of soccer watching like you on Saturday. Um, but like majority of Sunday, I spent like between the Eagles game, the Chelsea Liverpool game and the Real Madrid Sociedad game. That was basically my Sunday afternoon. Like I spent 90% of my Sunday watching all of those things. So it was honestly a great, like, I don't know. It was a great weekend going back to being able to, to watch all this and kind of just couch potato out for a day. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I did not join you in the Eagles watching. I, I, <laughs> that, the, I, told, I texted Elias, um, and he was telling me he was watching the game and, and I told him that, you know, I, actually like to enjoy my Sundays. So I'm staying away from the Eagles for, for at least, at least till mid October because it doesn't even matter. They always kind of suck in the first four weeks. So what's the point? True. And they play the Bengals next weekend and then they have a run of, I think what the Steelers, the Ravens and the 49ers. So, and not no particular order, which is it's still either way you put it as brutal. So yeah, not going to be fun. The next <laughs> four weeks where we go one and five, potentially zero and six. So yeah, um, we got a lot to not look forward to, but also we still have a lot to, to recap and go over starting off in the Premier League. So Rian, a, a bit of a, a tough game. I, I think it'd be hard for you to say that points were deserved. Frankly, that's my opinion, but 
What were your What were your takeaways from the game? I'll let you go off first. Oh no! I mean, it, it, you're right. It would be hard to say points were deserved when <laughs> ten men for 45 of the minutes and don't have the ball. Really, I mean, I'm not going to come on here and say that. <laughs> through 90 minutes of that game that Chelsea should have gotten points. Like uh, the game was over with the with the red card. It was fully over. It was it was over, and then it was like. Tiago was warming up on the sidelines to come in in the second half and just <laughs> like just black cloud of existential dread washed over me as I saw that they were being <laughs> actually that aggressive and bringing him on at halftime when I was just like, oh, they were definitely bringing him on. But um, I'm thinking they'll probably bring him on midway through the second half and not be just complete assholes. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, it's... Yeah, Chelsea in this game, I will say the first 45 minutes, while the plan was obviously not to play as open as I think we've seen Chelsea play against Liverpool last season, um, which led to some really entertaining games, uh, but just, you know, Chelsea can keep up scoring with Liverpool, especially with a certain someone in, in net. This time, I thought that they defended very well. They, they defended very well for the first 45 minutes and were just playing the hit on the counter, and that was the plan of the game. And I thought they did very well, but the ultimate thing is Chelsea have, in that game, nine of the same players as were on the team last season. So as much as you had the two new sign, two of, new, of the new signings, two of the six new signings, which, you know, three of them or four, four of them unable to play in this game. Those two players, not enough to really, I think, change uh, the change the outcome of this game, change, change the performance drastically of this game. I, I think Chelsea looked good in some in some counterattacking systems counterattacking plays, but you know, it came down to a fatal, fatal mistake. Sorry, two fatal, fatal mistakes right, really, that right. took this game away from them. You know, one that comes at the end of the first half where Christensen is just too tight to Sadio Mane. Give Jordan Henderson credit for playing a very good ball over the top to and right into right almost into stride for uh Sadio Mane who I don't I don't know if you I don't know your thoughts on this Ellie's but if Christensen needed to tackle him like that um I I think it was just about out of his reach but either way it's a fatal mistake made by Christensen right right and, I, I, yeah that's the point I I like I, either way it was a mistake you tackle him you get a red card you're off you're down to 10 men or you don't tackle him he definitely gets around Kepa in my opinion and he scores so yeah, he was in a lose-lose situation, but the better of the two was to not make that, like, literal bear hug tackle. Yeah, I mean, I I think the images of his arms literally wrapped around him makes made it so obvious to be a red card. I think he could have gotten away with it maybe if he shouldered him, but that was just, it was a tackle. It was a literal American football tackle, NFL tackle. It's it's one that you would be hoping that the Eagles could make week to week, but alas, <laughs> that was completely a non sequitur. But I I respect. 
<laughs> but but ultimately, you know, you have that plus just uh, Keppa's mistake on the second goal. It just gives just gives the ball basically away to um, to Sadio Mane, who who presses him beautifully. But still, it's a mistake from the keeper, and uh, who's mentally just gone like it, 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 it's it's all mental i think we've talked about this before that it got to, it's gotten to a point or it got to a point i think where it was all mental with um with keppa and he obviously is completely within his own head but you add those two things up the keeper that is most likely not going to be the starting keeper in, in the next week or two and still the same individual mistakes from the same uh, defenders that were on Chelsea last season and Chelsea has a bit of a fatal flaw problem here Uh, in the numbers game uh, Chris Anderson and David Sally talk about the NASA shuttle uh, the challenger that blew up in in the 80s and they talk about how there was a massive just O-ring problem with with that uh, shuttle and the O-rings are just you know, part a piece of the of the shuttle itself. They froze the night before the before the the launch. They failed the day of the launch. Allowed some hot gas to get through, and that hot gas goes into the fuel tank and causes a massive explosion. Yeah, you know, otherwise the entire ship was working well, except the weakest link was the O rings, and that ultimately destroyed the entire system, no matter how well it was put together beforehand and just to relate that to this i mean in soccer like teams can be totally performing well in a game plan like we've seen it before we talk about you don't necessarily win every game you play well like we that that's we saw that a lot with manchester city manchester city last season you can do almost everything so well but if your center back does not position himself well on a long ball. If your keeper is totally within his own head and doesn't just clear the ball on a pass back instead of trying to take a couple touches and then pass it out and, and gives away a complete goal, then, you know, it all goes to shit basically. And it turns the entire performance on its head, really uh, a game that was, albeit you would say that Chelsea probably was not on the front foot um, in that first half, but at the same time, they had not been presented with with real, I think, um, flashpoints of imminent danger by Liverpool, who, who did have the ball a lot, and I, and I think a part of that reason that Thiago coming in to the second half was to get the ball into the final third a bit more. But in any case, you know, they talk about how in the book, in the numbers game, if one inefficient member of that 11 players, those 11 players, if you have one guy who's just completely off the bottle and making a, it makes a rare mistake, albeit maybe not so rare for these two players, it affects the entire team's performance. And that's what we saw happen, um, I think, on Sunday. And that's not to say that the rest of the team couldn't have played well, played better. That's not to say that they were set up perfectly because you know, there are players missing and there's always regrets. I think in the lineup, like, I think it's, I think that at halftime 
I was a bit disappointed that Havertz was taken off. Um, whereas I thought that maybe Havertz and Werner could have just stayed up top together, even though you have 10 men and those, those guys stay up top together and you just try to create something between the two of them. But it was obvious that the second half plan was to try to hold on and not give up a goal. And then, you know, the first goal happens. Marcus Alonso's beaten on a one-two. Saw that a lot last season as well. <laughs> and then, and then the second goal, the second goal is a complete gift. And in the last glimmer of hope, Chelsea gets a penalty in the seventy-fifth minute. And for the first time ever, Jorginho has a penalty saved. It, it's. It's it's a good moral to the story, basically the way that it. it Seriously, went. yeah. I mean, uh, by the way, great great work by Allison on that. The big difference in that penalty, and I think in every other penalty we've seen taken by Jorginho, is that Allison in the replay, you look at it, he just never goes down. He never goes down until Jorginho takes the shot. And Jorginho, that technique, it's totally predicated on the keeper deciding which way to go before you actually kick the ball. And that's why he takes that hop step and his head's up the entire time during the penalty. Allison didn't go down and made a great save. And, and that was it. And that, and, and that was the last hope Chelsea had of getting, of getting anything from the game. And Tiago was just amazing. Tiago was as good as I think Elias, you and I knew. Oh, oh, I knew about seven years ago just how good he was. But, you know, some people at Barcelona did not. So it's irrelevant, apparently. Yeah, I mean, he came in. It's a perfect game for perfect situation, I thought, for him to come into, right? The other teams down to 10 men already were going to have the ball a lot. And there's more space on the pitch there. And he has more time to play the ball. And he ends up having more completing more passes than anyone else on the pitch at, by the end of the 90 minutes, even though we only played for 45 of them. And that team's that him coming in Tiago to Liverpool. And I think a really, really smart acquisition of Diego Jota from wolves. I think that that's really all they needed. That's all they needed. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I know I know that I did that. I predicted, and I think LSU did as well, that Manchester City was going to win the league this year. But those are two great buys just right. to keep the team ticking over. And Thiago, he he will, if he stays healthy and in this team, he will make, I think he'll make team of the year. Like, he, he will be. Oh, yeah, that's not a question. That's, like, I think the team is perfect yeah. for him, too, right? I, he, he played under Pep Guardiola, who does stress the high, pressing a lot, pressing hard, the high-intensity pressing. And now he's in a team that does that as well. But at the same time, they're going to look for him to be pretty much the quarterback of the team. He is, and having Mane and, and Salah to play balls to, it, to play those balls in behind, and just as well to have guys out wide to switch the play to for him to switch the play to Robertson and switch the play to Alexander Arnold. He really just might be the difference between Liverpool just falling off a little bit and not being able to keep up with Manchester city who we will get onto later 
and being the difference between Liverpool and Man City this year. So it's a it's an unbelievable signing. We talked about that, and he was great and on Sunday and was a perfect game to get him get his feet wet. He did end up conceding the penalty. To, he was the person who fouled Timo Werner in the penalty. <laughs> so, so he's obviously got to get up to speed with with the league a little, or up to speed with the uh, players he's going to be playing against. But nah, I, he's so cerebral. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's going to take much time. No, not at all. No, he he is a. You know, when Pep first came to City, um, or no, I think it was when he first came to Bayern, actually. Um, I think his number one transfer request was Tiago or no one else. And that's a that's a very true story. And so it just goes to show you what caliber player that he is. Um, and the fact that that is a steal for arguably a player that I think will start more games potentially than Henderson because he, I mean, Byron this last this past season, he played a lot more in the the deep lying midfielder role, which is not actually where he normally plays. Um, but it, it seemed to suit him a little bit more at Byron, just because I think they needed someone to do you know some more of the defensive work because you know they're obviously an attacking powerhouse, and Tiago fits that profile combined with the fact that he's a technician through and through as well. So. Yeah, this does make a lot of sense, and I think it showed in this game specifically. So we'll see how that plays out for them. But, I mean, I'm already having my doubts about City and, and how they throw away games. But, I mean, this weekend, at least they did not against Wolves. This weekend, game, this I mean, the City-Wolves game, I think, last year would have been a perfect example of how City could have potentially dropped points because that game easily could have been 2-2 by the end of it. When reality, it finished 3-1. That, I think, is going to be the biggest difference maker for City this season. And if they're able to avoid results like they did last season, like they did this past Sunday, then I think they're in very good shape. But, I mean, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on City and United? One team did not. <laughs> so, <laughs> thoughts on the two Manchester-based teams? Oh, just starting with with City, like you said, that this was a game that they handled much better this year. In the same fixture last year, they ended up losing with three one um, home to home to Wolves. This was really controlled, and big shout out, I think, to Fernandinho and Rodri in that game, who played holding mid together. Fernandinho still ticking along who had to play center back for so much of last season. And who knows, he might end up having to play center back um, again at some point here, depending on, depending on how, well, really depending, I guess, on who plays next to Nathan Ake. It seems like, or yeah, it seems like Laporte is injured at the moment and might come back. So, so we'll see if Nathan Ake Keeps it going. I thought he played well on Monday against uh, Wolves. If he keeps it going, he, he'll play next to Laporte, I assume, is how that goes. But Fernandinho and Rodri were great in that game, and, and especially Rodri, who is now in his second season under Pep Guardiola. I thought that he wasn't he wasn't poor last season at all. He, he was he was looked like someone that was just you know getting into the league. You know, he 
it takes some time to adapt. And all that being said, I thought he played well last season, but this game, he was felt more present on the pitch. I do think there were times last season that if that you kind of asked, where is he um, in an attacking sense? And I think that's the step that he's going to take this season is being able to play the ball through the lines and get it into Foden who played great in this game as well too. He, he got, he got a goal against Wolves. But being able to play those balls within the lines to whoever's playing in that number 10 role for Manchester City, and there's just so many options there. Uh, but I thought he was great. I thought he was physical, and his passing was so crucial for the second goal, which was the Phil, which was Phil Foden's goal. Manchester City, for all that we just said about Liverpool, still the levels are so high between those two that like even us say, even me saying like, Oh, well, I think now I'm feeling Liverpool because of Tiago. just like the level's so high that it, it doesn't mean that Manchester city is not easily going to be neck and neck with Liverpool for most of the season. Right. This, this is still one of the best teams in Europe and they looked like it and they really, con- they really held wolves a lot better than they did in either of their games against them last season. And I, that's a huge step. Yeah, I, I completely agree with city specifically. I mean, they showed character that they had not showed, like I said, last season um, in this game. I mean, you can specifically point out each individual player in that midfield and, you know, point out specific things that they did well. It's great to also see we should point out Kevin De Bruyne, right? Pretty much entering the same way that he left last season. The thing that City that about City that still bothers me is, I mean, you talked about all the positives, but I'll just mention that their defensive structure isn't amazing. Like, it hasn't been for a while now. And I think that's why they're, you know, so hell-bent on getting Koulibaly from Napoli. And while I don't think that it's a good long-term fix, Koulibaly is an excellent center back. Um, He's just a little bit on the older side. He's 29 going on 30. But if you're looking for a short-term fix while you have to, you know, spend the money and you have Pep with you now, I think it's still a smart purchase. So I think they need to focus more on that area which is why they likely did not go for Tiago as well, or someone like Tiago. Um, so I, I don't know what City's going to do about their their center back pairing. Like that still bothers me. Like it, it, I'm at the point where like I can say this team's amazing and they will obviously challenge for the title and everything. But until they solidify their defensive pairing, like they will always leak goals. Whereas you don't see Liverpool, or even you don't see. Uh, actually, I, I was going to try and point out another top six team that isn't leaking goals. That doesn't come to mind. So, they're, they're, yeah, they're all, they all they all do in their own special way, right? But it's all yeah, it's all different for each team. So that's my problem with City United as a whole. Different issue. Do you want? Do you even want to go on to United and their issues? Because once again, I maintain that United's defense is not sound with or without Harry Maguire. I. I don't care what you say. They're not a good team. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, United, they just always look 
with the ball, they always look like a team that is forcing things to happen. Right. And that bears out in the amount of shots, shots that they take one and two in the amount of penalties that they draw. You know, they, they, we clown them for the amount of penalties that, that they end up scoring, but most of the time they are fouls. And most of the time they are from guys trying to dribble in and, you know, because they are very good technical players, sometimes you're going to get fouled. And especially if you're playing against lower level competition, they just always look like a team that's forcing things to happen. And when you come up against a crystal palace side who on the day just defended very well and Zaha was fantastic and they, as a team broke very well, we can talk about You know, the, the handball on, on, um, on Victor Lindelof, which is just tough because it bounces <laughs> up off his fucking foot and hits him in the arm. It's like, I tweeted this, but I really do think I'm going to end up breaking something this year over a handball penalty. It was <laughs> nice to see a separate handball incident, you know, being not awarded because of something that was incorrect, if that makes sense, you know? So, I mean, we, we didn't see it in this game, but like it, it's still, it's, it's important to point out. I'll, I'll still defend VAR. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, the handball thing is just, it's, it's impossible to, it's just impo- an impossible thing to get perfectly right. Even if you look at 600 million angles, right? And like, it's, it's just going to be something that's going to infuriate people no matter what. Um, on, a, on a separate tangent on the VAR, I think they've actually, for the most part, we've seen good stuff from, from them. They're using the monitors a lot more. The referees are actually making the call themselves, not some dickhead in a booth. It's much better, much, much better. Now. So I have faith that I have a faith in that. I think just ultimately, maybe they'll have to, to just look at the handball rule again. Who knows? But that's neither here nor there. Um, United just, man, they're just so reliant on just individual skill rather than creating anything as a team. And that's ultimately where I'm just like, have them finishing fourth pretty much because I'm like, this is the most, this is at least the fourth most talented team in the, in the league. But Ole Gunner's like a PE teacher, dude. Like, like, I don't know what they actually do in, in practice. It's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know what they do. I I was watching some of their uh, league cup game today against Luton. And and there was a picture of their positional, their average positional uh, map going around Twitter and it was like, I, you look at it and it was basically like looking into the sun during an eclipse. Like I was almost blinded by how narrow, <laughs> by how narrow the entire midfield was. And it's just like, it, it, it was to, to be fair. <laughs> that's not, that is not the analogy that you used on Twitter. I, I saw that and I actually laughed out loud because you and I both know that that was not the analogy that you used. No, no. On, on Twitter, I, I said it was like, it was like those texts that you used to get in middle school or it was like 
some basically like the, the girl from like the ring or something and like showing her <laughs> actual face and it's like this is a cursed image. If you don't show, if you don't send this to 10 to 15 of your friends right now, you will be haunted in your sleep by this. I will be haunted by that positional map. I see. I saw this, this afternoon. I, I'm trying to figure out. I've, I've looked at it so many times since then and tried to figure out how does this happen against a team who is in league one? Okay. Like how, how, how are they this like, unprepared i granted it's a team they don't play every year but i mean any sort of plan other than run at the other team run at the opposition uh, it's their ultimate downfall will be the coach we've and it's amazing that he's not called out much more in the media it's so weird it's so weird it's the only thing you ever hear about because it's the narrative it's the narrative it's it's they need Sancho. That'll change it. Just get Sancho <laughs> in. Get said get him in. One hundred twenty million. Why not? I mean, he 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 will make the team no matter what. He would make the team much better because it's that or playing Daniel James once a month, which is zero. <laughs> Might as well have ten men on the pitch when you have the ball. It's oh my god. Sancho, <laughs> We're back to the Make a Wish Foundation analogy. <laughs> It would be hilarious now if Leeds just went and bought him for like ten million pounds. Oh my and god! And he was actually yeah. and he was actually just good, and he was actually just made more sense in that type of team. I think that he probably would because we both agree that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is just not the coach that United need. Like United's fall from grace in the last eight years has been tremendous, and I'm not saying they've reached rock bottom, but they're certainly not anywhere near their peak. And I think a large part of it is down to their coaching and, and their management ability, their inability to properly plan. Uh, and you could also say, who am I to talk? But again, it, it's still true. It, it applies in both cases. So their inability to plan for the right positions that they need, <clears throat> creative midfielder, um, and their ability to, or I guess their inability to hire the right coach for the style and profile that fits the squad that they have. Signing Sancho will make the team better, but it's not, honestly, the more I think about it, it's not actually going to help them, I guess, go to a top three spot, for example. Like they barely squeak out top four now and barely. And that's like you said on individual skill, but you need more than individual skill to win a league title or to actually compete. Both of the top three or all the top three sides right now have a team, have a, have a plan, have an identity. And you can see in the way they play. Whereas yeah, United don't have that. It's, it's vibes. It's all vibes. <laughs> to be fair. It's, yeah, it's a sensation. I always say, say Rian, the Spanglish version of that is just sensations. Um, so yeah, the sensations are there. So congrats to that, but it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. And, and, Look, today was uh, Van de Beek's first start for the team, and and he scored over the weekend, by the way. And and that's a creative midfielder that they've gotten, but they have Bruno Fernandes, who plays the exact same position in a totally different way. But I still think that their biggest problem is who the hell are you playing next to Pogba? They still have not figured out the best, the right combination of midfielders to play um, next to him because that is – is difficult. That's a very delicate issue to have because um, Pogba is not. You can't 
put him into any particular box as a midfielder. So you have to have the right guys around him at midfield. He played with he played with Vidal, Marquisio, and and Pirlo. Like, like come on, like you, of course you can't just surround him with Fred. Matic and Scott McTominay and think that that's going to fucking work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, pl- he played with the highest quality of players. So yeah, I, I agree. United need, I, I don't think they need an overhaul, but they need, they need a coming to grace moment. A direct direction. They need direction. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And they're, I don't think they're going to get it with Ed Woodward, but I don't see him moving anywhere anytime soon. So that's a problem that they have to deal with. And Fortunately for another London team in Spurs, they, I don't want to say they have direction, but they said, who are the better teams in Europe? Let's go after their players. And I mean, everyone loves a reunion story. Everyone loves this reunion story. Seven years after their golden boy leaves the West London club, or excuse me, the North London club to go to the big mighty Galacticos in Real Madrid, Gareth Bale, the prodigal son has returned under management of dun, 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 drum roll, please Jose Mourinho, which is a sentence I never thought I would say. So Gareth Bale's back at Spurs. It should not. Is not back also at Spurs. Both on the same day. Two players of high quality, Rian, like genuine high quality. What are your thoughts on their signings? Well, Regulon, let's start. Let's start with him. That's I feel like that's a bit less complex and a bit less muddied with with um, with just clouds of of who the hell knows what happened. <laughs> like a little, a little, fair, fair. A, little a little easier to, to, to look at there, but uh, Regulon, look, we watching the Europa league um, in the restart. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was the best left back that was left in the competition. Um, and we saw him go all the way and, and win the Europa league with, with Sevilla. He's I mean, doesn't feel like a Mourinho uh, left back, but because he's not, but <laughs> because he's like actually pretty great at attacking, um, fairly so-so at at one-on-one defending, but it's it's pretty decent in the air. It's I'm really interested to see how he uses him. Um, I, I don't I don't know I I I really don't know how he's going to be used in this team just just not not in the sense of like he's not good enough to be in this team or or like he doesn't fit uh, or he doesn't fit fill a need but it's I I don't know how he's actually going to be used um, in this team. Well, well he is an uh, he's an upgrade. Let's let's start with the baseline that he's an upgrade. Hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. I mean, there there are options or Ben Davies and and Danny Rose who, as we've seen from All or Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Mourinho was not the biggest he, fan to say not the, the least. biggest fan has quite as, has you know I guess as any top footballer should yeah has a lot of confidence in himself thinking that he can play like shit and still get starts <laughs> and, and then the moment he asked to leave um, the best he could do I think was was Newcastle and Norwich so yeah I think Regulon is a bit of an upgrade on Danny Rose and, and Ben Davies what 
is going to be especially interesting. And this is where I'm going to have to rely a bit on Elias here to tell me what the hell to expect <laughs> from a 31-year-old Gareth Bale. Yeah. Who has played... Who has played less than less than a thousand minutes? I think in the last two seasons. So, yeah. so the situation with Bale at Real Madrid, just for context for everyone, is that last year I think a lot of people know. And what happened was he basically had an offer from China. Real Madrid were willing to take it, um, and. Gareth Bale said, no, I'm perfectly happy in Madrid. I earn a lot of money. I have no reason to move anywhere. My family's happy. Why would I go anywhere? So Real Madrid kind of got stuck with him. And in, and by the end, actually, they wanted to keep him. Um, I think there were uh, there's a part of Gareth Bale that thought, why don't I go um, and, and earn, earn even more money? But by the end, the tables almost kind of turned in that Real Madrid wanted to keep him around, which in my opinion, at that point was foolish and Real Madrid or excuse me, Gareth Bale, I think started to probably want to leave at that point. And so throughout this season, of course, we know that Zidane's relationship with Gareth Bale is very, very polarized. It is not very strong at all. And he continued his escapades throughout this past season of golf of, you know, golf, Wales, Madrid in that order, right? You know, that all those things combined kind of to get to this point which is that, you know, they wanted to find an amicable way out of this situation, they being Real Madrid. And of course, Gareth Bale has wanted to leave for, I think, the last year. So the most logical situation is for Spurs to come back for, like I said, their prodigal son to come back to the club. Now, here's one thing that I think a lot of not only Spurs fans, but also Madrid fans fail to remember is that, this is a one-year loan. Gareth Bale is still a Real Madrid player. Like, he hasn't come back permanently. It's not... I don't believe there's an option to buy. Gareth Bale is a fully registered Real Madrid player until the end of his contract in, I believe, two years. So, Spurs are going to have to deal with that in about a year's time and how that's rectified. But... Yeah, don't forget that point. So, again, the question then becomes, where does Gareth Bale fit, fit into all of this? The answer to that question is, of course, I don't know because we haven't seen him play. And Mourinho is one to really confuse the hell out of all of us. But in my opinion, I think it's... You know, at Real Madrid, he played on the right wing, um, especially in his later years there. But Bale as a left winger is where he made, made his name at Spurs. And even in his earlier days at Madrid, it's where he actually, I think, flourished the most. Granted, he did have a center forward at that point in Cristiano Ronaldo. But, you know, that's still where he, I think he had the most success. And so I would expect him to play more of a winger role because that central area is very much occupied. But I don't know. I don't hate a front three of Gareth Bale, Harry Kane, and Hungman Son. So I'll, I'll take that for, for them. I just I do think that Spurs have other areas that need to strengthen before getting Gareth Bale. 
Yeah, and I think I think you make a, a really good point at the end there. A front three of Son, Kane, and Gareth Bale is at least on paper a very lethal uh, uh, front three in terms of people who are great. Three really really good finishers, and ultimately that makes him a perfect Mourinho player because Mourinho so much of his philosophy is set up on keep a clean sheet, defend, defend, defend. And then when we break, let the superstars be the superstars. Right. And I think Bale is a complete wild card at this point in his career. We have no clue, I think, how this is going to go. And we have no really clue of, yeah, I totally feel like this is going to be great. Or I feel like this is going to be a disaster. I'm not feeling that either of those two feelings. I am, wow, this is going to be really interesting. A total flip of the coin of of how well he's going to integrate into this team and back into the league. And can he reach the heights that he or even close to the heights that he reached when he left the league at, at in 2013, which was, you know, some I've seen this go around on Twitter. Like the league was the Premier League was a much different in 2013 when he left compared to what it is now. And a lot of that has to do with the managers that have, that have come in, come and gone really. Yeah. It's, it's a league that doesn't quite lend itself to just, massive like tall and strong players being able to do what they want which is what it was when when Gareth Bale left and that's why he was so amazing in that final in his final season at Spurs you know a great finisher and pace and power as they like to say right and and this is where where I think like he he could be really good for Spurs here because I know that at some point they're going to get the defending part fairly right. You know, even if we don't think that any one of their back line is world-class, they'll at least, at least sit deep and make it somewhat tough on the opposition and try to break. And, and that's what Mourinho's philosophy is totally built around is, can we take the chances that we get? And it might only be two or three. And he's got three great finishers to do that. And I think if anyone, honestly, if if anyone's going to get Gareth Bale motivated and perhaps put an arm around him or at least light a fire under him, make him feel like he is the biggest player on the team and and one of the biggest players in the world still, it's going to be Jose Mourinho. I think there are very few there's maybe like only a couple managers, maybe him and Jurgen Klopp that can, I think can actually change the mentality of a player or, or raise the, raise the happiness or the hope levels of, of a player. And, and Gareth Bell's coming back to a club that he's extremely comfortable at in a country that he's extremely comfortable in. And he's no one's going to be yelling at him to speak Spanish. And it's going to be, a better environment for Gareth Bale. And I think that's the biggest hope that Spurs fans can take from this is that this is a thousand times better environment for him than what he just left. And he will be the guy. He will be one of the guys 
um, at Tottenham. And it's really all about, I think, for me, you know, how many long-range shots? The sensations. Are- oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Seriously, though. I think that, <laughs> in, in the, the coin that I have and whether Gareth Bale's going to be very good, it's like one side – um, he has not played much in the last two seasons, and that might be for a reason. And he might be kind of, you know, out to the beach a bit. The other side, the good side is like, oh, he might just be better mentally here. And that'll spur him on, you know. Um, but it's unintended or. Oh, no pun <laughs> I, I, I can't I can't take credit for that. But. <laughs> But uh, I, I think one of the most interesting things with this is Harry Kane and Gareth Bale take a lot of shots, like a lot of shots from outside the box, by the way. So, you know, they're they're. I hate to use this cliche. There's only one ball, but like, seriously, they're going to only get like probably four to five chances in a lot of, in a lot of games because of, again, how Jose Mourinho teams are set up and there's not going to be a lot of passing between the two of them. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Yeah, they're not structurally really set up to to do that. But I think this is a <laughs> this is a classic scenario where you put enough stars on the field and you get results kind of eventually, right? I I'm I have two basic mottos right when it comes to talent, right? Good talent always finds a way to work together is my number one. My number two is that good talent will always shine through regardless of, you know, time duration and how they're playing, et cetera. Good talent over not so good talent any day. So I, I think that's probably what, what they're thinking. Cause outside of it, I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's a need to bring Gareth Bale back. So Maybe maybe Jose wants goals. Maybe this is his way of announcing to the world that he wants to score goals all of a sudden. I don't know. We'll have to watch more Spurs, which is just a shame. Uh, I mean, he wants to score goals. He just wants to score them the easiest way, the quickest way possible, really. Now, now I wouldn't even say the easiest way, because this is actually the hardest way to score goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah the way exactly. it's, it's, it's the hardest way to score goals every time. Uh, but, but, you know, th- these are great finishers and if they get into the positions, then you have to, you're going to bet on them a lot. Uh, it's just, are they going to be able to get into those positions consistently? Um, and that's where you and I are both have both expressed our concerns about the midfield and you know, the tanging, tanging Dombele. Played quite well um, this past weekend in, in Spurs' 5-2 win, uh, but was pulled at halftime, even though he pretty much was the main influence on the fir- on the goal in the first half. But um, Dude, it's, it's fitness. It's like if you, if you are at your peak, just go out on top. And I think that's exactly what they were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that was sick, Tangy. All right. Now let's actually try to. We uh, <laughs> gotta have some guys that will finish the game. The yeah, mic much. drop. He's a mic drop guy. Yeah, 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 and that's all that he needs. He's he's a great midfielder, but for forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, so so that's that's really the uh, most interesting part of what we'll see with um, Bale and Regulon coming in, who 
who, like I said earlier, I, I do think he's quality left back. Um, it's be really interesting to see how he's deployed in behind Jose Mourinho. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, that wraps up the Premier League portion of this podcast. We will be back in a little bit talking about La Liga and whatever the hell is going on in Spain. Rian, this weekend saw match day two actually resume in La Liga. So the top three teams, top uh, yeah, top, only the top three teams in La Liga have not actually played yet until this weekend due to, of course, your European competitions and the such. But Real Madrid, who were, I guess, finished the season pretty strongly, uh, I, I have to say. I mean, they won the league. This is paining me to say this, but... Real Madrid played their first game this weekend. They played against Real Sociedad. The final score was nil-nil, but we saw a lot of interesting things come out of the Real Madrid camp. And honestly, this is part of why I don't know if Real Madrid are the favorites to win the title this season. And of course, I've already made my argument for for why they've had a worse summer, but we don't have to go into that. So, Please don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Well, we saw Martin Odard, of course, come back to Real Madrid at the start of the season, coming back from Real Sociedad themselves on what was supposed to be a two-year loan. So a lot of questions around this Real Madrid side coming into the Real Sociedad game this weekend. And he started them, or excuse me, start him alongside Luka Modric and Toni Kroos. It was really interesting to see the original lineup because Zidane started with essentially what was a 4-2-3-1 because Martin Odegaard's best position is a 10. So when we saw this lineup, I guess my initial thoughts were, I think he's trying to fit Martin Odegaard into the rest of the team. Like he's building the team around Martin Odegaard. It's not... It's not like, okay, well, now we have Martin back. Let's just put him into, you know, one of the midfield three in a more advanced position. It was, no, no, no. I have shifted the formation to suit your style. That's not even something that I, I mean, he did a little bit with Isco, for example, but that's not something that we've seen very consistently from Zidane. And that kind of threw people off a little bit because either side of Martin Odegaard was Vinicius and Rodrigo. You know, there was no Hazard, of course, because he's fat and overweight. Um, there was no Luka Jovic, who, you know, I don't think would have started this game, but there was no even appearance from him. And I think it was just very interesting that Martin Odegaard started this game and, and was really had the team built around him and who played well, um, you know, nothing too crazy or too flashy, but did have a good game. And for large parts of the first half, I think, you really felt like Real Madrid should have at least scored, right? They had one or two chances on goal, but they didn't really create that many chances. There weren't, they weren't that impressive. And Courtois actually bailed them out against an Alex Isak chance towards the end of the half. And Courtois, of course, really picking up from where he left last season as one of the best goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper in Spain, um, really showing up against that chance, which would have really seen the, Tides completely turned against Real Madrid. It was it was just an overall very very interesting game. It's uh, almost a new Real Madrid in some ways, but 
not with very different players. So I don't know, Rian, what were your thoughts on Real? Uh, I think Madrid looked like a team that hadn't played in just about a month. Um, and a team that, like you said, are trying to integrate an, you know, not new player, but, but yeah, new to this team into a position that a very crucial position in the team where, where he's, where Odegaard was basically like the fulcrum of that midfield. Everyone's moving around him and you throw on top that he starts Rodrigo and Vinicius. This is still two players who are 21 and under and it, it just looked like they couldn't quite get over the line to score, to score yesterday and, and, or on uh, Sunday. And I do wonder, I do have a slight concern for Madrid in their ability to score this season and in, in where the goals are coming from. Because as we saw last year, constantly bailed out by Benzema and Sergio Ramos, who, who ended up being one of the top scorers in the team. It, they need Eden Hazard to come good this season. It's it's not like uh, it's not like in the past where or the normal Galacticos past where it's like we get all these great players and yeah, maybe a couple of them won't work out to the best of the ability that we hope for, but there's still so much around them that they're going to be effective. And even if they don't work out, there's still other players who some will hit, some will come good. They don't have room for that error. I think this season, maybe they'll have room for some room for error in the league, but definitely not in Europe. And they need and Hazard to come good this season. And, And I, obviously, you know that I hope that he comes good. Um, not just because of my, my early season prediction, but because I love to see that man play well. And I think he and Benzema are a great partnership together. But it's it's just n- not quite enough, um, I think, for Madrid right now without him on the pitch. it's it's There is someone missing there outside of Benzema. There's someone missing in that midfield and attack to really grab the game. And I, and while I think that at times Vinicius can, and at times Rodrigo has shown that he can, it's a lot to ask for players that young. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like a lot of, I think a lot of real Madrid fans would a hundred percent agree with you. There's no other focal point. And just Sergio Ramos out of the question for just a second, because he's not, he's not an attacker, right? He, he is a goal scoring defender, but you need someone else to take the mantle in a different way, in a way that is consistent to what your role is supposed to be, right? It's an anomaly that Sergio Ramos scores though that much, but it's a lot of pressure to put on two youngsters. But at the same time, you say that, you know, Eden Hazard needs to perform, which I agree with you. This is what they paid money for him for. And I mean, injury, right, is one big issue, but it's not like they can't rely on Vinicius and Rodrigo, right? Vinicius scored in the Clasico last season. Like he is a quality player. I mean, he's not Neymar. He's not up there yet, but he is absolutely an up and coming player and they should expect a little bit more from him. I I think that's a completely fair ask. I I don't think it's fair to say that they should expect the world of him, but it's high in time that they all stepped up collectively. That's what I expect from Real Madrid this season. And, I don't know what version of them we're going to see, but 
it, it should be better. Yeah, agreed. And and it's still early, early days, of course. And and Hazard will come back, but like I said, it will be important for for him to start the or hit the ground running, really. Which you know he's just not done at all in his in his Real Madrid career so far. And I, and I think it'll be important for them to get contribution from Jovic this season as well, because they are pretty much one Benzema, you know, somewhat. Uh, longer term, medium term injury away from really, really having a tough time um, finding source for goals. So with that, Rian, enough about Real Madrid, because I'm going to get nauseous talking about them for too much. It's already been like 10 minutes. So let's talk about another team that's going to make me completely nauseous. And of course, that's my club. And that is Barcelona. I feel like I'm talking to myself right now, but this is the kind of therapy that I need after this this summer, which of course <laughs> need I remind you has been worse than or has been better than Real Madrid. Excuse me. Mm, bargaining, hey, bargaining <laughs> stage. <laughs> it's it's the acceptance stage. I'm trying to transition into it, but I haven't yet. So, what has gone on at Barcelona in the last literally seven days, Rian? Like, what has gone on? Let me tell you, three players are on their way out. Like the whole thing about, you know, basically the squad is up for sale after the Bayern game. Yeah, that's that's actually happening now, which is in a lot of ways like a positive, I think, for the overall structure of the team. Right. So, of course, we saw, you know, Ivan Rakitic leave a couple of weeks ago, um, get like a hero's farewell, um, which, to be fair, is deserved. I'll give him that. Um, It's just I don't think Messi should have been treated the way apples and oranges here. And then, of course, Arturo Vidal being announced last night by both Inter and Barcelona um, on his way to uh, Milan to play under, you guessed it, Antonio Conte uh, at Inter, which on basically a free for Inter is a great signing, even though, you know, bar his age and everything, he's still a fit player that, you know, loves to run and is physical box to box. I think it's something I don't know if Inter needed him, but I think it's it's a good fit. Absolutely. And of course, the, you know, one of the most interesting ones for me is Nelson Semedo um, announcing himself this evening that he is leaving Barcelona after three years. Uh, You know, a player that never really felt like he fit into the attack, you know, or even the team overall, especially. And has never really stepped into the, you know, post Danny Alves shoes. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hard to replace Danny Alves, but still never looked like he was coming close, unfortunately. And, and I, I actually really do like Nelson Smith. He plays very, very well, in my opinion, for Portugal. Um, I just don't think he was a right fit at Barcelona. The interesting thing for me with Semedo is that he was listed as an untouchable by our beloved president, president, uh, Josep Bartomeu. Um, which just goes to show you how exactly how inept this club is when it comes to planning. It just, it, it's ridiculous. When a good offer comes in, a good offer comes in and you sell the player. You went for 40 million euros to Wolves and that's, that's that. To, to Mendez FC, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> when, 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 Portuguese national team. 
Yes, yeah. When Jorge Mendez comes to you and he's like, "Look, I'll give you ten million of the, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you like three million of the ten million euros I'm getting from this transfer fee anyway." Um, <laughs> like, that seems like a good enough deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but wow, he's going for I think it was what forty million euros. Like what? <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. Um, a huge favor has been done, right? Like Ivan Rakitic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A huge favor, all of us. So Ivan Rakitic and Arturo Vidal, of course, go for a combined, I think, like 1 million euros, um, plus variables, of course. But it, yeah, it's just, it's weird. I, I don't get the way that Jorge Mendez works. He's a genius when it comes to making money for his clients and for himself. So I got to hand it to him. But Rian, we haven't even gotten to the most interesting um, of transfers. I have, in some ways, rightly or you know, non, not righteously at all, talked a lot of shit about Luis Suarez. But Luis Suarez, at his peak, is, in my opinion, by far the best striker in the world. The only problem with the sentence I just said is that he has not been at his peak for over two years now. So and, and is not, not and not by far. We've had this conversation already. It's no, him by and Lewandowski. It's him and Lewandowski. I will not allow. No, no, I will not allow the Lewandowski slander. Any, I will. I refuse to allow it. Okay, but go on. Okay. Well, this season, of course, Lewandowski season in Europe and overall, but at his, you cannot underestimate Luis Suarez. Um, that 2015, 20 to 2017 run was truly something special, um, which is really goes to show I'm talking in past tense, right? I think we're past that point. Um, so yes, Lewandowski is the best strike in the world. So anyway, Luis Suarez is reportedly on his way out of Barcelona. He is on his way to drum roll, please. Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. I'm, Holy shit. <laughs> I'm going to be fucking sick. Dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Diego Simeone is basically, I, I'm not even going to focus on the Barcelona side of things because the Barcelona side of things are TLDR, a club legend in Luis Suarez, or third highest goal scorer is leaving the club for across. I mean, not across town, right? Excuse me, a rival in La Liga, which I think is debatable, but also clears a little bit of room for someone like Griezmann and some of our younger players like Trincao, like your Dembele's right to, to really step into their mold this season. You're right. This is Fati's great season to shine or start shining at the very least. And Dembele certainly has something to prove. So that's the Barcelona side of things. What's much more interesting to me is the Atletico Madrid side of things and choosing to sign Luis Suarez. I don't think it will be a free, but it will be close to a free. Um, what what is why okay i do, i just want to say i don't think this is a good signing for atletico madrid like i'm being as objective as i can but can you okay can you rationalize this for me like i i don't know what are your thoughts i just i don't get it oh my god dude we're going to see a game where it's going to be costa and suarez up top and 
Jao Felix will <laughs> either be on the fo- on the bench or playing like left wing, and, and, I, and I'm gonna have an aneurysm, <laughs> and I, or either that, or maybe I will s- somehow believe that I have slipped into the fourth dimension and traveled back into 2014, where this would have been a good idea at the time. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I think Diego Simeone has really gone back in time with this. I'm trying to truly understand from their perspective what they're looking at. And and I think the number one thing is just goals, right? We talked about it last season, how Atletico Madrid need goals, right? They're consistently poor at putting up just goals. Like it's, it's something they struggled with. Morata couldn't step into that fold. Of course, Diego Costa couldn't step into that fold and Jao Felix is still up and coming. So they need short term goals. Luis Suarez, of course, is going to give you that. I think Luis Suarez is going to score 20 plus goals next season in La Liga for Atletico Madrid. What wow. I don't, yeah, I, I genuinely think that I gen, cause he is going to be in a position. Who's the ball? Who's, who, where's the service coming from? Well, so that's, that's the big question. And I think, Here's what's going to happen with Atletico Madrid. At least if, if I were Diego Simeone, this is what I would do. Diego, or excuse me, Luis Suarez should not be playing as a deep lying forward, which is essentially what he was for the last two years. He should be playing at basically the 18. That's it. That's all he needs. Other than that, you let him do the rest, but you have to put him in a position for him to succeed. And I don't think there were times where that happened to Barcelona in the last two years. But for the large majority, I don't think he was in those positions. He had to do a lot of running. He's consistently, I mean, we talk about Hazard being overweight. Come on. Like that's, I mean, Luis Suarez knocks that out of the park. So that's what I would do if I was Diego Simeone. I would play him higher up and I would shift your line higher up. But then the question, like you said, is who gives him so, that service? So it's so, Elias, you can wake up from that dream. <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not a dream though because if he does get even the few services that he does if he's closer to the box he's going to take those chances he's a clinical striker that's not up for debate what's up for debate is how how often he's going to get that yeah push higher up like uh, elias elias yeah yeah it should be that simple Diego Simeone will just you know Turn into someone else for, for a year. <laughs> I I know I know it's not likely what Diego Simeone is going to do, but we saw last year a lot of what Atletico's attack was based on counterattacking, and that can't happen with Luis Suarez. Which is why I'm saying this is what I think Diego Simeone and Atletico should do. I don't necessarily expect that to be the case, but if you want to get the best out of your new, you know, top quality so and so striker. That's that's what I would do because the way that they play right now is just not going to work for him. I, I genuinely believe that he will give you goals, but it won't be that many if you play the system that you currently do at Atletico. I am just, I love Simeone as a manager. I just, I don't understand it. He lost me with this with starting Diego Costa in the uh, quarterfinals of the Champions League. He lost me there. He lost me um, with this as well. This is also not going to get me back on on his side for sure. I mean, it's... I just hope they don't waste Jao Felix in his crucial 
years of development. I just, I'm just really, I'm hopeful, hopeful that they won't ultimately waste him. But this is an important year for Jao Felix, and he needs a team that is built around him. This should have been the summer you start building around Jao Felix. Instead, we are consolidating on the playing style and and I, I suppose the sensations, as Jesse said, Elias, sensations of 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 Diego Simeone and his teams. Yes. And we're not, yes, the like, sensations. we're not moving forward. We're not moving forward. We're not trying to build around the most important player in the club right now. It's it's um I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe he plays Felix and Suarez up top together, and 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 that works. And um, but it's it's just again, I, I guess similar to Mourinho and his teams. It just feels like the team's going to be set up to score in the hardest ways again. I, I yeah. I mean, I don't know how Atletico set up now. I'm very curious to see their first game as uh, well. I don't know if that you know Suarez will play, but their first few games, how Simeone sends them out because I think it's going to be a combination of Luis Suarez and João Felix. But what do you uh, what are you going to play a four four like one one like I, I don't I don't know how they're going to set up. Perhaps I, I mean I think that's that is the most hopeful I am about how the setup will be. So. Um. It's, a, it's such an important year for Jao Felix and and and, Portugal, and the Portugal national team would say the same. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's such an important year, and he's the most important person at the club right now. He's their most important player in the entire club, with, not just because of how much money they've invested in him, but the potential that he can reach and and what he's shown and what he's flashed. Um, I just I just hope that that this move was made in conscious with how is this, does this help Jao Felix this season? And I hope that's, I hope that's the thought behind it. And I hope that I'm proven wrong. But it <laughs> I, doesn't I, yeah. feel, yeah. doesn't feel like it. it. I don't think it is. That's the thing. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's a short-term fix to a problem they've really been struggling with for a while now. So I'm. I love Suarez. I. I will. He's an absolute legend of the club. I just don't know if this is the right decision for Atletico Madrid. So I wish him the best. I wish all the Barcelona players that have left this season the absolute best. Apparently, knock on wood, we are getting Sergino Dest in replace of Nelson Semedo, and seeing two Americans in this Barcelona first team is going to absolutely make. This this season for and just seeing our youngsters come up. So there's I have your, to end on a there's your baby. There, there's your baby Danny Alves. There you go. <laughs> yes, there's your baby Danny Alves. The the light skin uh, squad is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna end on a positive note. I um wish the best for whatever this club is in for for the rest of the year, and uh, we take in grace. So. With that, Rian, I think that wraps up La Liga. And uh, I think, as always, we will talk to you guys very soon, bring you the latest from all of, really, the top European clubs and leagues. So with that, thank you guys for listening, and see you next time. Thanks, guys.